Cass- we, we, okay, so here's the deal. Cassio. We're all going to say it differently. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> come up with your own version. Every time you say Kisea, Cassia, Cassia, Casa, yeah. um, whatever it is, <laughs> My casa. everyone's got to say it different, okay? I'm the Cassia. All right, let's, let's go live. <laughs> Screw it. Let's get going. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about the news in this particular episode. We're going to have Alyssa tell us how to pronounce Kisea, Kisea, Kisea. Casio, um, we're going to have Alyssa teach us how to say that properly. We're going to talk about cyber liability insurance, and it's just a, it's just a real quiet week in the world of computer security. Not a lot going on except for remote exploits for Windows systems, and quite possibly the world's largest ransomware attack. All coming up. What the hell, Ryan? Go. That's, oh that's my gosh, that's so cool. Out of that, that just, wasn't me. That is nice. That was nice. Yeah, I like how he doesn't take credit for like coding it himself. Yeah, I, you totally I can't should have. Whose hand is that? Whose hand is that? Hand is that? that is we awesome. were trying to. I, I like that thought. Like, whose hand is that? And what do those numbers in the background mean? And every time we do that, there's always somebody that goes through the effort to try to decode what's back there. So we've got to. Be well, usually it's you. That. It's not <laughs> there we go. So, so we're joined by Max. Uh, Max, please say hi. He's new Hello. On the show. If you've been on our Discord channel, you've seen him. You know who he is. He's he's always around. He's always helping out. We're also joined by Alyssa, who's directly above me in the Brady Bunch squares. Um, I've known Alyssa a long time. I, I, I realize that I, I think I've known Alyssa longer than I've known some of my own children. Uh, she has... Uh, yeah, how do you like that for creepy? Uh, so she uh, used to teach with me at a previous organization, and now she's doing freelance stuff. And uh, she's one of the smartest endpoint forensics people, memory forensics people, just general security practitioners that I know. And she has a rocking class that we Ooh. teach. So let's go ahead and let's get started. Ryan, what's the first? What's the first news story that you want to throw up for us? Today? That I want to throw up. Hmm. I'm going to talk about good warm up. I think. Yeah, I think it is. So uh, this is CISA, which I want to just make it clear that CISA has been crushing it, and I hope that they continue. I do have a fear about them becoming too bureaucratic and it getting too weird. Um, but they just released the Ransomware Readiness Assessment, or the RIA, or RRA, and then also the security, uh, Cybersecurity Evaluation Toolkit to help people get ready for ransomware-style attacks. I really have a hard time with a lot of these different things as they come out because I feel like they come out ultimately just to make people feel better. If they're like, oh my God, what do we do for ransomware? The answer to that question is literally what we've been telling people to do in the world of computer security for the past 20 years. It's not like this tool or this kind of, what is it, prepare assessment and results and all these different things is really going to tell you anything all that different, but I feel like it's very targeted for ransomware, so maybe people will use this as like a gateway drug getting into computer security. They'll start here, and maybe they'll start doing other things for security. What, what is everybody else's thoughts on these types of tools whenever they come out? I think, uh, hey, John, thanks for the intro. But this, uh, the detection tool is laden with like indicators that are gonna tell organizations whether they're, they're owned or not. And I think that's a little bit of a different slant than just pushing out you know, laundry lists of domains and hashes and 
uh, file names is what we've seen before from CISA. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested in uh, whether folks find the detection tool viable, whether they find it helpful. And that's it. And that's yeah. it. We that's lost. How we got. <laughs> Nobody else has an opinion. I think we Tracking. lost John again. Did we lose John? <laughs> it's like he's there. He might have his camera. Yeah. The, him. the the satellite has moved, and now we have no more John. Oh. So micrometeors. Micrometeors. And lightning strikes. Yes. I mean, lightning. I'm not really sure if we need any more ransomware assessment tool stuff. I mean, it's not happening at all. So I mean, <laughs> it's over. Obviously, that's a, that's a very uh, poignant, not quite as fun joke about uh, all the ransomware that's going on. I mean, yeah, it's good. Putting out more detection tools and uh, signatures for those kind of things. And just, I, I don't know, like, I think of it like a warm-up, like a, like a workout, right? If you work out every day, you can get better, stronger, so on and so forth, healthier. Um, maybe the same way with uh, your security posture inside your organization, because uh we're going to see more of this ransomware. I hate saying that. Like, I feel, is this only the beginning? That's the real question I have. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they pull, pull together the detection tool because a lot of the, uh, it, well, uh, anticipated impacted parties are more small, small businesses, more on the small, medium uh, side of the house. Therefore, may not have been in the trenches pulling together indicators for enterprise scanning. So maybe, well, I, maybe it kind of speaks to the, uh, the impacted parties. Well, this does get into kind of a bigger uh, issue with security, kind of like what you touched on, is a lot of these smaller organizations, if you're talking, talking mom and pop bicycle shops, small credit unions, a lot of them can't afford like Mandiant to come in or VHIS to do a pen test. You know, they just can't. And I think the more of these tools that are available, I think the better. But the question is, how much of this is the echo chamber? They're just going to go to the people that already know about CISA? already know about ransomware is it actually going to be helping the people that we need to be reaching out to? we need like a grassroot ransomware detection movement right <laughs> just well, do you, what like was the, buzzwords in there what was the two worms back in, in the, like the early 2000 i'm going to say it's 2003 i want to say it was nachi and blaster or welchie i can't remember but there was one worm that was released that literally would go through and patch computers like it was trying to get ahead of the evil worm, but it was going through and it was trying to be a, a, a white hat worm, as they were calling it back in the day. Um, I don't know if we need anything like that. I guess technically and legally, I have to say that's a freaking bad idea. Don't do that. <laughs> However, that being said, it definitely gives one positive. But I mean, don't you think about back then, you know, this was more it, uh, less financial motivation than we have today? Yeah. This, I mean, I think that's the big thing we're really running up against here. We have an industry now. We don't just have, you know, a couple people who came up with a new attack method or something. You know, this is this is people making money. I mean, you know, in some of these hacks, so many companies that they just were like, couldn't keep track. And they're like, given a Groupon to just pay them <laughs> off. Which is... Are you literally calling this like the, 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 the ransomware Groupon? It's like if everyone gets together, we're going to yeah. drop the price from $70 million to $50 million. And if you can bring friends and family in, we're going to actually drop it down even further to $25. But it is so sad that it's funny because it sounds <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it sounds like, right? Yeah, oh. that, that sounds like where we're actually headed with all this. But you talk about the money aspect of it. People are relatively new to this. This is huge business. I mean, 
This is billions of dollars that these organizations, these uh, hacker organizations are making off of this. And they are straight up seriously like, like businesses. Like some of them actually have offices, they have staff, they actually have customer support. I don't know if you've worked a ransomware gig or not, but you can actually call a number and they will walk you through how to purchase cryptocurrency to pay them. It's just like absolutely insane. And on the other side of it, the people that are going to be making a lot of money. Ryan, do we want to talk a little bit about insurance on this a little bit? Because sure, it's, it, let me find that one here. Again. So while we're talking, you can bring it up. I'll, I'll bring it up. So they're projecting that the cost of cyber insurance is going to be increasing by about 32%. I mean, I like the byline. It said, with no side of <laughs> How do you think insurance companies feel about all of this? Like, I almost feel like they had a bunch of actuaries and a bunch of math nerds. And I'm not using that as a pejorative, like, oh, my God, they're nerdy people. But what I mean is they're actually really into math. And they're like, well, you know, the amortized rate of, you know, these particular attacks and the total damage of these attacks is this. And they set up all these different formulas and all these things. And they're like, this is what we should charge for ransomware or cyber liability insurance. This is what we should actually charge for it. And then 2021 hit and it was like, oh, our math was way off on this. So, so what also I should point out that if you're working a, an incident dealing with ransomware, you can almost always talk the attackers down. If you say, look, my ransomware policy is for 5 million. Uh, they're like, so great, we get 5 million or nothing? I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much my policy. Here it is, here's the policy. Like, <laughs> okay, we'll take the 5 million. So I think that part of it is the attackers are actually hitting that ceiling again and again and again. So naturally the cyber insurance companies are going to have to raise it. I've also heard of some insurance companies that are going to stop cyber liability insurance completely, or they're gonna have specific riders for ransomware. So I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on this uh, whatsoever. Well, I think about the financial aspects, you have to consider that even, even for us who are in the field of security, it's really difficult to determine or to guess how many you know, businesses or organizations are gonna get, gonna get breached and the insurance companies have to factor that in and the, they're working with a really big unknown right now because, first of all, this is still rather new, I think. So for one thing, there is not a lot of data from the past to go on about, and it's mm -hmm. also very dynamic. So some, some new big breach happens or some new vulnerability is uh, disclosed and suddenly everybody is hacking into organizations, um, deploying ransomware. You can't really... I think it's very difficult to, to model this properly with... Uh, the chances how how likely it's going to happen. Well, and I, I think you you talk about the modeling, and I think that's the key. I think that they base the modeling on what what has happened over the past ten years. If you look at what's happened over the past ten months, I, I think that that entire model has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. uh, Alyssa, you were going to say something too. No, I, the fact that now we're uh, pulling in to the TTPs, like the the actors TTPs, whether they're uh, Kind of track record is to negotiate uh, or not. It, it's so fascinating. That's a whole another aspect. When we talk about the um, commoditization, I said, am I saying that correctly? But like how the roles are becoming more specialized within the ransomware industry. They're, they actually employ negotiators. I mean, as you're, as you're talking about, things are getting way more specialized, sophisticated, and, and we're seeing far greater success than days of old. Uh, because, hey, if someone's paying me to specialize in just negotiations, I'm going to get pretty good at it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I find it fascinating, like the, the 
are evil or rebel that we're discussing is known to negotiate. Don't quote me on that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, like, whoa. Yeah. But yeah, but, didn't but, they purpose? They were asking for like 50 million from JBS and came down to 11. Or, yeah. Well, and, and, and it, it, so let, let's talk about the negotiation a little bit. There was a, uh, a master class. There was a video where somebody was talking about hostage negotiations um, and how to actually negotiate with somebody that's taken hostages. And a lot of those exact same types of techniques that you use in that type of horrible situation are many times the exact same types of techniques that you use for negotiating with ransomware. So you basically, you know, give them props. It's like, wow, you guys really got us. That was really super impressive. Maybe say something like, hey, we had a pen test in the pen testing company. They didn't even figure this out. So, you know, great job on that. Kind of build up their ego a little bit and then seriously talk about what it is you can and cannot do and kind of hold those lines and kind of establishing that personal rapport the entire time because they're kind of interweaving with each other. So there's lots of videos and TED Talks on this type of thing. But Alyssa, I think it's interesting. It's almost like this is now a skill that the security industry needs, right? Like, you know, we're <laughs> pen tester. We need someone that does forensics. And, oh, yeah, we need someone that can do negotiation with people. Cyber. So there's broker services already, too, that will broker yeah. deals like this, right? And, that, and they specialize in it. They specialize, they specialize in, it. in it, yes. And, and they actually have longstanding relationships with people at these firms. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's... And, and they'll be like, yeah, I brokered this deal when this company got hacked. You know, I brokered this other deal when this company got hacked and, you know, I, I know what I'm doing, right? I have, you know. It's, it, it, but it's, it's also wild. interesting, like the value of that ransomware negotiation is, let's say ransomware attackers are coming in and they want $100 million, and you talk them down to like $50 million, That organization is like, wow, you just saved us $50 million. Here's your check for like X thousands of dollars. Good on you. So there's always this kind of quantifiable value statement that you can have for somebody with these skills to basically say, hey, quantifiably, this is how much money I have saved organizations over the past year. And that's, once again, it's a crazy thought that we now have this brand new skill set in the industry. So, so what do you do here? Well, I'm a ransomware negotiator. Like, that's big a business. job now. <laughs> a big business. Yep. And would that lower the insurance rates for, yeah. for a company if they actually had a full-time Negotiator, I wonder if that would be to their benefit. Oh, well, okay. It just kills me because it's like, oh, do, do we just move in? That's the industry. Like, forget the security. No, no, no. no. The industry no, no. is pay. negotiating, negotiating yeah. to pay. Mm-hmm. It, it's wow. It blows my mind. Why does this feel dirty to me? Why does this feel like compliance negotiations? Like all of a sudden. So it just seems very, very strange. So the other thing that's kind of interesting that I'm seeing with the insurance companies is they used to require like a certain level of due diligence. And yes, I probably will be having roasted cockatiel tonight for dinner. (laughs) Delicious. So so one of the problems that I have with this is insurance companies are looking at how they're going to get out of this hole. Uh, They can do it a number of ways. They can raise the cost of providing insurance. They can cut it completely out of their insurance portfolio. They can also hire, make sure the companies have hired penetration testing to make sure that there's some level of due diligence that's being done. But the other thing that I just heard from one of our customers last week was the insurance company itself is getting into the pen testing and assessment game. And they're literally starting to do security assessments for their customers because they don't trust third-party pen testers. Or the other thing that they do is they basically say, 
we will only trust these four or five companies. And that, that spooks me out too, because usually what happens, they end up with like Booz Allen, Hamilton, Accenture, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And that's going to lead to a massive change in this industry as well. Yeah, but if they don't restrict it to certain vendors that they know will provide a certain service, then there's nothing to prevent the people that get hired to say like, oh, yes, we did a pen test. But what they really did was run an SS scan. Well, and that's ultimately what most of these these larger consulting firms do, right? I mean, we know the pen test puppy mill industrial complex. And a lot of these insurance firms are going to ask questions like, exactly how many assessments can you do per year? And if you're not over a certain line to make sure that you can actually handle that influx, they're going to go someplace else. Hold, and a lot hold of on, John. are playing in volume. They're the kind of lowest common denominator. The, yeah, Ralph. The, the other thing, too, is they're going to be like, well, how much of a deal? If we push this much work, are we going to get a 25% discount, you know, so on, that it just drives yes. a whole different market where, you know, return, you know, insurance, whenever insurance starts setting the rate for these things, it goes crazy. Prices go up, deals and quality don't go with that price. It, it's, it's insane. So. Well, and we've kind of seen this before in the industry. Like if you look at PCI ASV, you know, the whole idea of PCI ASV, and I say it's a racket because it is, and, you know, I sunk lots of money into it. And you always have these large organizations that try to establish some type of standards and some type of pay gate for the certain type of quality of service that's supposed to be done. And it very rarely does it that way. So I'll give you an example. So like in the ASV standards for PCI, you got to go through and become an ASV to be an associated like S know, service vendor to actually do a scan and do an ASV PCI scan against a fake company. We did this years ago. And we did full packet captures, tracked absolutely everything, found all the different vulnerabilities that we could. And they came back and they were like, hey, you, you missed this, this database port that was open and vulnerabilities associated with it. You failed. And we could actually show them that we could send a SIN packet to that port. And we received a reset. That particular service was not alive. And they said, nope, you missed it. You failed. You got to pay us another $20,000. As this went on, and I was talking to people like Renault from Tenable and other firms, Secure Ideas was another one, I found out that absolutely no firms actually passed the ASV PCI test the first time out. They almost always had to go two or three times before they actually were successful. Now, I'm using this narrative because if we go down the same thing where insurance companies are going to say, you've got to be a vendor that's doing this, you've got to be Crest certified, you've got to be something certified, it's going to do exactly what Ralph was talking about. How do you actually get that cost actually doing that type of service as low as possible? So what's the chance that we're going to get a new compliance standard out of this? Oh, industry 100%. Certified ransomware compliant industry. I don't know, right? Insert your name. I, I think it's coming. There's already you know, entire training classes around ransomware that are starting to come up, which I think is interesting. Because I'd really like to know, other than a few modules on negotiation and cryptocurrency and how to handle these things, like what is fundamentally different? It's all the standard good hygiene of computer security for detection and response and prevention that we've been talking about. It's not like whole new cloth. So, but you know, there are some things like ransomware negotiator that's new. <laughs> yeah, the sophistication too is increasing, and we we kind of just hit on that because of the price and like the value billion dollar industry. You tend to get better operators, better attacks, right? So it's not you know it's it's not like all the same really really bad stuff is necessarily happening, but we have a much bigger group, more focused, going down this avenue, and they're 
more skilled attackers. So it's just, you know, it's another wave and it's profitable. So they're going to keep doing it. Ralph, I also want to call out real quick. So Ben Webb, I don't know if I was on the episode that he was on, where he basically said, that's odd. A couple of weeks, I said that this would turn into the next PCI. And y'all told me I was wrong. So I'm about to do something that's never, ever happened before on the internet. Like, this is it. This is the first time this has ever happened. So Ben, I want to make this very clear. We were wrong. You were right. Congratulations. We just cracked the ice on the internet. So for sure, it's going to be on Reddit. It's like somebody on the internet admits that they were wrong. Oh, my God. Uh, so so thanks, Ben, for rubbing our noses in it. We, we do appreciate it. Bad dog. <laughs> so who wants to talk about printing? Oh, boy. I love printers. HP. <laughs> I mean, uh, is there other brothers? Those are great printers. I, Did you just say HP and others? HP and others. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not a printer, dude. So, I, I'm jealous. So uh, a little I bit of background. I didn't know about printers. Yeah, please. Where do we stand with this right now? The article that he's showing, where do we stand? At- so right now, the recommendations are burn printers to the ground. Uh, take them out, <laughs> office, uh, office space style, and well, just smash them. breaking their printers, just smashing them. This is the vulnerability. I have to destroy it. <laughs> right here. Right here. <laughs> and I went on Twitter as soon as this one came out, as soon as I saw it. I'm like, whoever did this vulnerability, please do fax machines next. Because I hate <laughs> fax machines. Oh, I hate boy. them so much. Is this bad? I mean, if we just got rid of all printing and we just did PDFs and signing things, it, it would be a good thing, right? Honestly. Save the planet. So, all right. So a little bit of technical background on this particular vulnerability. So with printer, um, you have the, the print spooler service, okay? And the print spooler service allows you to do things like spool off print shops. It also allows you to add new printers, which is pretty stock and common for anything when you're dealing with, with printers. However, what this particular vulnerability allows an authenticated user remotely to do is basically cause the system to add a new printer with your own driver, which allows you to execute arbitrary code, which once again, if that seems bad, that's because that's bad. There was a patch that came out, the patch was less than effective. And now basically what everyone is saying is, you know, kind of the same thing. It's like, what what do we got for solutions here? Solution one, Microsoft option one, stop and disable the printing service. Okay, (laughs) option two, the disable inbound remote printing through group policy. Okay. Option three, block RPC and SMB ports at the firewall. So it's basically like just shut printing down. Um, just shut her off, buddy. Never print. This is the chance we're just going to shut this down. So, so Alyssa, we have some common friends that have had some experience in the exploit dev world. And the thing that I find interesting is... If, if we could talk to them, like the idea of the standard heap and like buffer overflow attacks, those are going away very quickly, especially at like core operating system level exploitation that we would do. Traditionally smacking, smashing the stack or heap feng shui or whatever the hell we want, we want to do. That's getting rarer and rarer and rarer. But this almost seems to me like it's almost like a business logic error in code. Like it's less saying, oh, well, there's a there's a buffer overflow or heap overflow or something like that. And more like, oopsies, this particular service can just load random drivers and run them as system. So do you see this as like 
kind of a, a different type of class of exploitation? Like, how do you look at the style of exploitation versus the traditional heap stack? That's a, it's a fair point, right? This is uh, pretty egregious it, as learning drivers is it's like what you taught me, uh, having a critical impact on the entire functioning of the system. Ah, oh, um, yeah. yeah, not your typical vulnerable, you know, there's another buffer overflow vulnerability in, in Wireshark and let the cards fall where they may. This, this one seems uh, almost preposterous. Yeah, yeah. I well, get it. It, and, and kind of the history, you know, the other thing I think is interesting, like Windows, uh, Windows 11, they're going to require you to have a trusted platform module on your CPU in order for it to run. And we've been always talking about embedding security inside of the microprocessor and trying to get that. And I, I hate it. I hate mentioning this to people, but that won't stop 98% of the attacks. Like it's going to stop some rootkit stuff that we were really worried about, like, you know, eight to 10 years ago. But for a lot of these types of vulnerabilities, like just, just the service just randomly loads a driver because why the hell not? Or vulnerabilities that are just application level backdoors. It's almost like you have these parallel paths where everyone's doing all this deep research on how we can get security deeper and deeper into the microarchitecture. And then it's like, nope, somebody just ran this random driver and it's now exploited a number of different computer systems. I, I think that there's this huge disconnect on where security research is going, which is always interesting from a technical perspective, but still like 95 plus percent of the attacks are like, hey, Bill clicked a link from a stranger that had malware. And we still haven't solved that fundamental problem yet either. Yeah, or you partnered with the wrong IT management software company. So <laughs> your, your trust relationships are flawed, uh, but couldn't, couldn't have done anything about it type of thing. Well, uh, and you talk about, and you talk about that, that relationship with a third party. I don't think anybody that's on this was on this test. A number of years ago, we were testing an organization. And I might have told this story, but just give me an idea just how, like, common it is to have these types of vulnerabilities. This particular customer had a web portal for self-customer support. So for their own employees, if they were having trouble, like to say printing or something like that, they could go to a website and they could go and put requests and they could put in all these different updates and do these things. It was a really neat little self-help portal, reset your password, send little pins to your phone, all these things were there. Now we, um, I think it was Derek Banks, and I can't remember who else was on this particular assessment, but what happened was they were able to get access to this portal. Once they were in the portal, you could actually submit a Word document describing your issue to Help Desk, which if you're an attacker, that's like manna from heaven. You're like, you're allowing me to upload files and send those files to other people. Well, hot diggity dog, that sounds like a good day. <laughs> so they did just that. They created malware, they sent it in. Then you called Help Desk and then you told Help Desk, this is my case number. They could go to that file, and as soon as Help Desk opened that particular file up, they're like, oh, well, it says something about macros. And the testers are like, just run it. And the Help Desk person ran it, and we got access to this particular company, except it wasn't the company that hired us to do the pen test. The company that hired us to do the pen test never told us that their entire portal was completely outsourced to a third-party organization. And this third-party organization had hundreds, if not thousands, of other customers that they did help desk support for. So we realized this mistake relatively quickly. But the point was, it literally took them about half a day 
to build that entire attack and actually gain access to this particular organization. Now, John. Yeah, go ahead. How, how long did it take you guys to uh, do the pen test and all those other companies? So it actually was funny <laughs> because the, the help desk technicians had full domain administrator access to every single one of the other organizations. That's a requirement. So, yeah. Yeah. They, they had to have it, right, for customer support. And Oh, no. I think he froze. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, shifted again. What does anyone know the end of the story? I mean, I mean, how, how did it get out? They all died. It was just a classic Hamlet ending. They all died. <laughs> they all died. Reboot again. Obviously, Windows 11 is installing right now, so uh, John is on pause. <laughs> we'll come sucks. back to that story. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. Um, I I did want to. One thing that I was just. You should not have the Prince Spooler service running on your domain controller. That's basic, like, Windows server hardening. You you also, in, like, the one case where you should have the Spooler is if you're using your domain controller as a Prince server, in which case you shouldn't be doing that either. So <laughs> there is no need, like, this shouldn't be as big of an issue. I mean, yeah, it's not great, like, it's, it's but it could be better. If, if we did proper OS hardening of our Windows servers and proper segregation of our various network VLANs. I was talking to some other buddies about that, and uh, I remember doing DISA sticks, right? So this ah. is like the DISA hardening guides. And if you go through a DISA hardening guide, you can really secure your Windows system. You might break a couple things. That's a fact also, because th there's a lot of like recommendations that are just going to break things. But there is a ton of great information in there. And it's surprised how many people don't do that, right? Or just don't so, go through the process. So, Ralph, do you remember the DISA gold disks? Oh yeah. That had oh, yeah. the automated assessment and oh, yeah. it had a little button. It's like remediate selected vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I was doing security at, at the NRO and NSA, I, we'd give it to systems administrators and we'd tell them, you see the shiny button? Don't click that button. Yeah. Like, don't, don't click it. And, and then, we, then we'd say, okay, so you saw me, you did, you're not going to click the button. No, not going to click the button. Not, not going to click the button at all, Mr. Strand. No. All right, and then I'd leave, and all of a sudden, like half of our server infrastructure would go down, and I'd show up, and they'd be like, "Well, John gave me this this CD, and and it had this this button, and I clicked it. I'm like, the button I told you not to click. <laughs> you clicked that button. Well, I figured it would be faster in the long run if I just clicked the button and it automatically fixed it. It's like, <laughs> yes, yeah. People wonder why people in security drink. <laughs> so is that what happened to your computer did you click a button on your computer no my, 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 this is my life now uh, so this computer well, doing is just a web stream. Continue. john was it's hardening gonna, his system i was hardening my system i yeah. had to remediate selected vulnerabilities and i'm locked up so i don't know how long i have i don't think anybody really knows how long i have um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's just oh. it's just that it's just bad. Uh, I, know, I think whenever I get done with this, I'm going to buy a new computer or motherboard. I'll probably call Ralph because he gets excited about these things. That's uh, true. I do, weirdly enough. Yeah. People are like, why did you get into pen testing? You must really like computers. No, effing hate them. Uh, <laughs> just, just, the way, just the way it works. So what other stories do we have here? Uh, we got Casio. Casio. <laughs> Casio was like, uh, like, like the little watch where you had the uh, <laughs> calculator on it. 
<laughs> yes, they do that. They also make uh, keyboards, not like oh, as in typing yeah. keyboards for computers, yeah, but like you know, portable pianos. Yeah, yeah portable pianos. <laughs> <laughs> so we we joke, but 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 this whole this uh, Cassia vulnerability that we're Cassia that we're dealing. Later. So so people are calling it bigger than solar winds. I, I've even saw somebody on Twitter and say this is quite possibly one of the largest hacks in history. I, I don't think they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. And, and I want to make it very, very clear that I don't necessarily blame Kaseya on this. Did I did I do it right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. Nice. I think it's better if it's Kaseya. Um, see you later. Just, yeah, but I, I it, and once again, I think it's easy for people to blame the the company that got compromised. And I, I suppose time will tell, but I don't know. It, we've been doing this, Ralph, you know, for a long time. Max has been doing pen testing for a long time. Noah's just getting started. Alyssa's been cleaning up messes of pen testers and hackers for like a, over a decade now. It, you know, companies getting hacked with this, they aren't necessarily the exception. It's the rule. So you know. Light a candle, say a prayer, give an R to uh, to the fine security folks that are trying to deal with this incident as it is now. You know what I would be interested to to know is like, did they accidentally hack them? Was this like, you know, they they, they got been. into some other company and then somehow, you know, it ended up like in your story, ended yeah. up as, you know, on one of these uh, systems and was like, oh, this is interesting. Let's it's see like, where this goes. You see somebody at Revil or Revil or whatever we want to call them, um, the lesser of two Revils, saying, oh, boss, yeah. boss, hey. Hey. boss. Like, John, we'll get to you. You can go to the bathroom without raising your hand. No, I don't have to go potty this time. I'm here. And they're like, oh, my God. What the hell did we just get access to? Where uh, were you trying to go? Oh, well, there was a mom paw shop down on the corner of Main Street, and uh, I wound up here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, it's actually a ice cream shop, and now I'm here, and this is amazing. <laughs> There's everything. <laughs> it's Go pretty ahead, fascinating to, to title that article. I think it, that that is a common uh, misperception of that uh, this is a whole supply chain. You know, oh, it's a supply chain. If if uh, some of the customers were impacted, it must have been a supply chain attack. Which, yeah, that can get a little bit muddy. Well, yeah. and okay, so this gets into an interesting thing about the supply chain. There's a ton of firms out there that provide services where they scan companies and then they give them a security scorecard. And they're like, well, Black Hills Information Security has these four vulnerable servers. We're giving them a D minus on their security. And their thought is, if they can find, scan and find these vulnerabilities on the outside. They can give you a score. And it's like you're trying to assess the security of a vendor in your supply chain by like what their mail records are configured to. I, I don't know how that's going to work out, especially since BHIS has a crap ton of honeypots out there. We <laughs> love honey. Yeah, we do. Mm. <laughs> Well, I've been on plenty of engagements, right? And you're 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 on this internal network. It's a large organization. They happen to have you know business to business relationships with other large organizations, and sometimes they have some kinds of connections. You know, I, I simply like maybe an FTP or something where they're sending files back and forth. I mean, this happens all the time. And you go in, and you'll see. I've seen this on multiple engagements. I'll see companies 
that I had done tests for on another company's test and they're doing, you know, like it's just you keep seeing this stuff over and over again. It's not that hard to after you break into one kind of break it into the next one. This isn't like, oh, well, we did a full survey of how this company operates and figured out that the most vulnerable way to attack the most amount of people was to get this. No, they probably accidentally landed there. Yeah, I, I would almost have to guess this was an accident. I would agree. Now, one article that I was talking about said this isn't even the scariest like company that does this type of service out there. Like where we were talking about supply chain, there's a large number of other companies that are far more embedded, not just Microsoft, Google, and Apple, but there's a lot of companies out there that are very embedded into a large, large number of other organizations. You know what's yeah. wild? A lot of those organizations, you don't even know their name. And like someone's like, that is a huge company. They do a ton of stuff. They're all connected. And you're like, I don't even know how to pronounce I, it. How, how do you pronounce it again? It's Casio. <laughs> it's my, Casio. 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 One of my favorites is Akamai. Like there's very few people walking around the street that know Akamai and like what it actually does and how it's actually so tied into absolutely everything everywhere. And now I know that there's people that are going to be like, what is this? How do I get rid of the Akamai on my computer? Where is this coming from? <laughs> but, you know, when you start looking into things like CDNs, all this. Actually, this is all starting to sound a lot like Paul Vixie's talk at Way West Hackenfest. But I, I think the whole gist of his talk, I can't remember the exact title, but it was like something around the lines of, we're screwed. Congratulations and welcome to the surveillance state. Let's go drinking. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just so bad how many companies are so embedded in so many different places. I don't think that was the title, John, but I think that does sum it up. Yeah, I did. I tried to sum it up as best I could. <laughs> His paraphrase. I think it was some paraphrasing into the void. I'm sure. I'm sure Paul wouldn't have a problem be paraphrasing <laughs> and and going with the title of his presentation. Yeah, Max. Max knows it's something about the void. No, I think. Wait, uh, gazing into the abyss. I think was the one. The more the abyss gazes in, back at you. So Here, that's, about, that's uh, deep. Um, so one more thing about the Kaseya thing is um, there was some talk on Twitter that apparently um, the vulnerability that was exploited to gain access to the MSS providers, I believe, had been just recently been discovered by security researchers from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the people who were on the Darknet Diaries episode called the Grumpy Old Hackers. I think mm -hmm. I might be connecting wrong people here, but I think that, that was it. And Basically, they said they report the vulnerability, and Kaseya was basically very close to pushing out a patch for it. Hmm. And then this incident happened. So, ouch. Well, and that, that, Max, that's interesting because I think that that also shows like a level of liability that security researchers run into, right? So, if you're working with a firm and you have a vulnerability, you're always a little bit worried that somebody's going to find that vulnerability first and release it, and guess who gets blamed, right? It's the security researcher that you're talking to. And we've actually had that happen at VHIS, so hopefully it all works out for you. Yeah, I guess one point about that is also you don't really know if somehow the information got leaked somewhere, and if it did, you don't know where it got leaked. Yeah, because you're right, because once you share it with that company, you get shared with help desk, get shared with the security mm -hmm. team, get shared with the systems administrators, there's a number of people that could actually take that and leak it directly to the public. Loose lips sink ships. There was a, there was a uh, what is it? Um, the gift. I read an article recently about gift cards, and uh, I believe it was um, uh, was it Apple gift cards or Best Buy? I can't remember. Anyways, and they had uh, the guy who was working on the program figured out a way to actually just take money from gift card. Oh, Xbox. That's what it was. Microsoft. It became this huge thing, and they were stealing 
tons of money from gift cards, just writing pretty much blank gift cards and selling the money. And the point is kind of like once that was, you know, once he figured it out, right, like it was known in there and just kept running it and making all kinds of money and selling crypto and also the wild stuff. Yeah, and, and this has this has been a big problem in the gift card industry for a while and even prepaid credit cards. It used to be that you could buy prepaid credit cards from Walmart. A number of years ago, I went to Walmart and I, I bought like 30 of them and I tried to get the serial numbers as closely as I could. I think they were MasterCard gift cards, if I'm not mistaken. But I basically tried to get the serial numbers as close as I possibly could on these cards. And, and he froze. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how this story ends. He's so cute again. Oh, I should have. I was trying to protect myself and not fall into the trap, but he did it again. <laughs> Actually, gift cards are really used for a lot of um, money laundering, too. It's a big, big way to transfer um, money back and forth, which may be where he was going with that because it's kind of like not real money, it's fake money. Are you saying John was going down the route of, and I bought all these gift cards in serial number order, and then I laundered money with them? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, as soon as he said serial yeah. numbers, it was gone. Yeah, no, I knew that's where the story was going. Um, I'm not exactly sure that's what happened, but pretty sure. <laughs> oh, boy. He says it's it's not booting back up. No. Oh, no. You, you finally fried it. Please send help. Please send help. <laughs> We uh we got a drone light in light a candle, say a prayer. That's what I was just told. What else we got today, Ryan? All right, moving on. We have a dot net core thingamabob. Whoa. Wait, what's dot net? What is dot core? <laughs> oh yeah, it's that thing that doesn't work for everything that you would normally use PowerShell for or dot net. All right, cool. Great. Yeah, that one. <laughs> So we got Microsoft as urged as as this is another one. This is the show about names today because there's so many Azure? names. Azure is that what you're trying to say? Azure, Azure. Oh, I don't know how to say any of these things. I have it like that. Oh, John is John. Oh. Real time follow up. John is uh he's calling it in. The computer cannot take it anymore. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'm a death right now. What is it? This is a .NET Core vulnerability remote code execution. Which is kind of interesting. So I'm guessing that if you're using .NET 5, .NET Core, there is a remote code execution inside of those uh, versions. So wow, be aware. That's fun be aware of your .NET Core. Yeah, I think yeah. if you scroll to the middle, it shows the packages that are vulnerable. I suppose might be something if you use these packages for a web application that uses .NET, maybe. But yeah, okay. There's not that much more information in the article unfortunately well that was nice and quick yeah i know right i didn't uh, even know about that one honestly there's been so much news recently it's just been like there boom, has been a lot boom, digest that gotcha. and we're still mourning the loss of john i know <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's here's the next one into it to share payroll data what could go wrong with that with no way you didn't finish people. the title like you just with said, Equifax. This, yeah. They're sharing it with, with Equifax. Equifax. So they should just X out the Equifax and said devil, just with the devil. <laughs> <laughs> with the entire world with at this internet. point. How many times has Equifax been hacked? Anyways. Not enough, apparently, because uh, it seems like someone's thought it was a good idea to give them more information. Well, yeah. And I mean, it sounds like they're going to be doing. Yeah, and I knew, 
I knew that uh, Krebs was going to go into, you know, Equifax, like the 2017 breach and, you know, what, 145 million. Background. Uh, yeah, right. Like that didn't happen. No, it was cool. We, we messed <laughs> up. We, we fired the guy who was in charge. We're better now. I heard um, it was an intern. It was definitely an intern. It could have been. always is an intern. But, uh, okay, so here, here's the big question, right? So as we get into these bigger online services, right? So TurboTax, just doing all of your turbo or doing all of your tax data. And then Equifax and just sharing of all of this data. I mean, don't, I feel like it's time for like a GDPR or whatever, some kind of framework, but we don't have anything. Like we're just kind of like, well, it's out there. It's it's free. You guys want to buy it, or you know, you want to sell it, um, or you want to steal it. You want to steal take it, it? <laughs> and then you can sell it. I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. That I think that you know, more of this information should have some more like rules and stipulations, as opposed to just like, well, you gave it to us, so now we're going to sell it to other people or other companies or. What do you guys well, think? And you're using the term gave loosely sometimes. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about if we're talking about payroll data. I mean, that would mean if I am an employee of a company who's using QuickBooks for the payroll, I may not have expressly said like, oh, no, that's perfectly fine for you to share my payroll data with them. Of course, they're going to be doing some sort of anonymization, you know. Oh, yeah. They'll update terms of service. is a really relative term. I went and got a job. That that wasn't necessarily something that I chose. (laughs) I'm just saying. You didn't choose a job? (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I chose the job, but I didn't necessarily be like, oh, yeah. And as a stipulation of this job, like I would like to wi- like willingly hand over um, some of my precious data here uh, so that you can share it with someone else. You know, that when you're, you, is then they are going to share it with someone else on top of that. You know, when you accepted this job, you signed the terms of service yep. that says there's an HOA behind this job. But now, you, <laughs> now you have to pay them with data. But you mean that you mean that 35 page document that I didn't read because it's 35 pages long. Mm. You can always opt out, though. Don't worry. Um, You you just got to get to that point. And you just got to call a phone number. Yes, you can. And as we know, with the Equifax breach of 2017, like they're opting out and their informing services are perfect with their form that you could go and see if you were affected and you could basically type your name like multiple times and it would change the results every so often. So yes, I definitely trust that opt out page. Like that, 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 that will be taken seriously. Uh, you know, what's funny about all this is that they're, <laughs> they have this data and they're like, Oh, we're going to share with each other. Google already has all of it. So it, they don't even need to share with each other. Meanwhile in Googleville. Yes. I think all the, the, the silver linings here is though that, you know, in the near future, a lot of people are going to get free credit monitoring, probably. Oh, no, no I've already yeah, got free really credit monitoring for really life bad. at this point, I think. Like, I, I have no concern. Like, who could steal my credit with the phenomenal quality of free credit monitoring that they keep giving me? <laughs> it all runs concurrently, though. It doesn't run back to back to back now. You, you can't keep stack them up it. like AOL, like power <laughs> <laughs> No, I just have a I have a stack of papers from various people who are like, oh yeah, here's some free credit. So like I'm like, oh my credit monitoring expired, and I go to the like folder labeled credit monitoring, pull out the next page, like oh here's a code. Let's see if this one works. It's a QR code. You just scan it every. <laughs> another one. <laughs> yeah, I just. Meanwhile, the credit monitoring is done by Equifax or something like that. So like yeah. you give Equifax more information so they can protect your information. 
<laughs> yeah, the, it is true. The only thing you could do now is just freeze your credit. I think I fr- froze all of them just as like one fell swoop, just freeze them all. They're not all free to do this. This this industry is a whole trip. It is like it's a, like a scam of the century holding the data, charging other people for the data, charging you to freeze the data, and then charging you to get credit monitoring service because of the data that they lost. <laughs> well, and then and then what's this? Yes, but then I've also been seeing this new one where they're like, do you want to improve your credit score? Well, you can just pay us money and give us more information and we'll make the data that is saying bad things about you better. And I'm like, how is that not like bribing something? Like, how is me paying you improving the credit score? Well, like, other than the fact that like I paid you and now you're like, oh no, he's much more trustworthy for that home loan. Now. Uh, I just keep thinking of this, this, the, uh, the song, this is America. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of things I wanted to get in. I have to jump soon, but I wanted okay. to make sure. Yeah, everyone knows that the Digital Forensics Research Workshop is next week. It starts, it runs Monday to Thursday. Uh, and it's only 150 bucks to attend. So that's a pretty sweet deal. You can still, oh, you have that one up. Thank you very much. And it's not like filled to the gills yet. I'm like, I wanted to give a shout out to the diana initiative as well the diana initiative though they are saying it's sold out but that's going to be next friday saturday so if you've managed to uh snake your way in and get a ticket the lineup looks phenomenal um good stuff Alyssa miller's opening given the keynotes on friday so that'll be good oh and then there was like the last one because i i help a lot of folks who are just coming into cybersecurity, like uh you know mentees there was is this yours your class yeah is oh no no oh i I wasn't even gonna mention that oh we gotta mention that it has the word advanced in it no no new to security folks are going to be jumping in but yeah yeah so that's that's my class there and the next run is slated for the 27th to the 30th uh that's of july and it's so it's just four hours a day there there's the schedule wait the first day is five hours but yeah, um, advanced endpoint investigations. Well, well the first so, hours to get students uh, into the class, get up their stuff that they need, DMs all the technical details to get else. running. Yeah, so we had a great don't time. Don't panic. Us, that was a good time. Yeah, so we, I just taught the class, ooh, probably two and a half. Way West seems like it was months ago now, but it was two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time is flying by. What was the, what was the other thing you, you were going to say? Oh, just that um, the active countermeasures is. Oh yes. They have a they, they have a webcast. Yeah, that's the one. So foundations of network security. The foundations of network security. It's a bit of a mystery when you're new. It's a packet analysis. So Hannah's going to do a bang up job in uh, filling everybody in. I uh, I'm certain of it. So yeah, thank you. Those are my like shout outs. You got to know what's going on because uh, with that digital forensics research workshop, that's normally where like the most academic stuff comes out. Like people have been slaving away, working and working uh, for years and years on particular research projects. And this is their time in the limelight, I guess you could say, to really get the word out on a new artifact. Or um, if that's your cup of tea, if that's where you spend a lot of your time is... uh, artifact recovery discovery and recovery then that might be something you want to check out so thanks very much for dropping the links 
it's cool you're welcome and uh thanks for coming on the show with us we definitely appreciate you being here John yeah, has to sure. tell that story now. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight until yeah. I hear it. <laughs> he just needs to tell more stories and just drop off. Just the cliffhanger to just kill it, man. Just come back next, next week. week. Yes. Yeah, it's come back next week, right? Well, well I think exciting conclusion of serial numbers oh. and gift cards. Yeah, right. With that, with that all being said, I think that's uh, I think that's all the stories we had for today, right? Um, well, we, we had, we some had more, one, but... one more if we want to get through it real quickly. If we have the audacity to get through it really quickly oh <laughs> jesus this should be a quick one I see I what you did there yeah so uh audacity so, is pretty much making spyware now so it's uh, from what i read in the in a couple of articles not just this um this one but that they got bought out by another company and then they started inserting some pretty much metric tracking or you know uh analytics on what you're doing using the software and uh now it's pretty much turned into spyware and a lot of people and on top of that and on top of that they don't want uh anyone under the age of 13 this is before they rescinded it but they didn't want anyone uh, under the age of 13 using it because basically they didn't want to deal with the copa laws for storing that data either so you know, lots of confidence instilled with that as well. But they did yeah. rescind it afterwards. I think this is just kind of the gross side of when you take this like open source software and then kind of like buy the name and then start maintaining it and then just start to, to you know, to to your own bidding, right? And in this case, it seemed like they were looking for ways to monetize it. And that's where it kind of started turning into pretty much spyware. It's useful software. And then people just assume that, you know, it, the updates don't include these, you know, but nobody's necessarily doing full due diligence. Oh, someone else bought it and it's not just open source and blah, blah, blah. You know, now they're adding this, this, and this to it. So yeah, it pretty much made a pretty big stink this mm-hmm, weekend. Mm-hmm. Not an expert on open source uh, licensing per se, but wouldn't it be possible to just take an old version that's GPL or whatever it was? This is true. It well, that's and, exactly yeah. what some of the doing, yeah. folks are doing. They yeah. are forking yeah. it on GitHub, and I don't know if it was on this specific page, but one of the websites. Yeah, here we go. It's a. Uh, oops, sorry, I left you up, Max. I was reading. I was reading the other webpage. Here we go. So, uh, users on GitHub and Reddit are are calling. Well, they said they're calling yeah. to fork Audacity, which will likely happen. Yeah. They're, yeah, they'll I'm probably sure make it. Call it something else. It'll be some random name, and you know. It'll be the same exact software, just minus all of that crap that got added, and it'll just continue to drive forward. It's just kind of messed up when companies do this and just grab, you know, or they may have paid for the name. That's really it, right? Because it was open source before, and then they changed the the EULA and then try to move it forward, and eventually people caught on. So, Trying well, that's sneaky. it. Um, super popular among podcasters or whatnot, you know. There's, there's a lot of people yeah. that use it. It's been around like, for so a very long renamed time. To something like a, uh, never mind. I don't know. I had a name in my Casio? head. That yes, name they'll it name it Casio. Casio. I'm name sure that's Casio. what they'll do. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That's not going to infringe in anything else at all. Uh, well, that's it. Talk. But yes, that is it. That was that the final link. Uh, avoid. Wait for the uh, the fork to come out, right? Or grab an older version from the uh, the repo if you are using it. Yep. So. They'll call it obscenity or something like that. That was the name <laughs> I was thinking of. Whatever. Well, shoot. Yeah. 
whatever, whatever they call it. It's time to, time to go. Happy hour, dinner, whatever you're doing. Yeah, I got to go get ready for a uh, hurricane that's going to hit my house. Uh, oh, yeah, so oh, that's right. I got to do that, too. That. Well, you're, you're closer. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be standing outside with the American flag. and um, Perfect. We can just, make that a gift. We'll start with that for next week's opener. <laughs> Perfect. Unplug your computers. <laughs> well, yes. thanks, everybody, for joining us for another exciting episode. And uh, hopefully John will make it through the next one and get through those cliffhangers. And we'll figure out what happened with the gift cards.